Last week, I want to do a quick review. We talked about there are four main purposes for marriage. The first is that we're a living expression of the Godhead, the three in one, the unity and power of the Godhead. The second reason is he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion. The third one is we're a living demonstration of Christ and the church and the ways of God in that. And then the fourth is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Those are really the main purposes of marriage. And last week we talked about some really awesome things about how uh, husbands are really especially anointed to develop their wives and some other things. But this week we're going to talk mainly about being fruitful and multiplying. Next week we're going to, not next week, next week Mark is teaching. Then Josh and I will be out of town and we won't have church for a week. And then the following week on the 7th, I'll finish the series and talk about exercising dominion as one, as one flesh. Um, But tonight I just am going to, I'm just going to no holds barred tell you the truth. And I want you to know this has been a really unusual, Josh will tell you this has been an unusual preparing because every time that I have a question or somebody raises a question like I share something with them immediately the Holy Spirit speaks up in my spirit and gives me an address in scripture to address it so I know that the things I'm sharing tonight I have the spirit of God on I'm very confident of it Um, but I am going to knock over some religious cows I am so um, the first thing that I want to talk about is um I want to look in Matthew. Let's start in in this scripture, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, starting at verse 21. And the glasses for this. Um, Jesus is talking here. He said, you've heard it said... Um, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to an altar and remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar and go away. First be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. The reason why I'm reading this scripture is Jesus is showing us a contrast. He's taking teachings that the Pharisees did and the Pharisees were drawing people to law. Or you could say it this way, there were two trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And they were drawing people to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by telling them how to alter what they do. Are you, are you with me? Mm-hmm. Alter your actions. But Jesus said, no, we're going to alter your heart motive. That's, good. That's how you know what tree you're at. Because if someone is talking to you about altering your actions, grace will alter your motive and your motive will change your actions. That's the root. And so we're just going to deal with that right off the bat. So at marriage conferences, we've talked about this before. Let's read this scripture. Somebody look at 1 Corinthians 6, 
12 through 20. Okay. First okay. Corinthians 7, 1 through 11. I'll take it. Okay, they're right there together. They feed into each other. But we want to read these in context. Go ahead, Angela. Starting with 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Okay. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you know? Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit from him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay, Josh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 11. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except for with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer, to come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because you lack your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in his man this manner and another in that. I am not, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, so I want to deal with just some things. All my life in marriage conferences, I've heard this taught. I've heard it taught that the number two need for men is sex, and there's no biblical basis for that. And so, guys, before I lose you, I'm going to deal with it. It's a big deal. But when I, when I tell you how the Bible gives it, it will change everything for you. But the reason why this is such a huge deal is when this teaching, which is erroneous based on Scripture, because we tell men, love your wives the way Christ loves the church, and then the context of that scripture is his sacrifice on the cross. And then we turn around and say, oh, you have this need and she needs to service the need. And it nullifies telling men to love their wives this selfless way that Christ loves the church and gives himself for her. Do you see what I'm saying? But there's a better way. There's a higher way. So don't, I don't want to lose you yet. Just stick with me. It's going to get good. Okay. The second thing is what this does is it actually, so our churches are filled with men who have pornography addictions. Why? Because we're telling them that this is a need. We're not telling them that this is a desire that needs to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and that it has a rightful place, just like your stomach appetite, which Paul just told us that. That your appetites are submitted to God. Desires and appetites are submitted to God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
and desires and appetites are submitted to God. So what happens when we teach it this way? What happens is men begin to decide that this is a need. And so because this is a need and she's not fulfilling this need, I'm going to meet it some other way. And it opens the door for a license for sin and a dominant spirit that begins to to fill into and, and defile the marriage bed. And then over here, what it does to the wife is this attitude makes the wife feel like a prostitute because now she's servicing a need instead of rendering selflessly a love to her husband. There is no account, if we're looking at how Christ loves the church, there is no account of Jesus coming to you and asking for something and taking it without you giving it. You can't show me that in the Bible, not one place. So, before I lose you, stick with me. It's going to get good, I promise. So because of this, the marriage bed is so defiled by how we teach sexual, sexual oneness, by how we teach it in the church, we're defiling the marriage bed. And so right now, I just want to take a minute, and I want to take authority over that, and I want to pray over that, and then we're going to talk about the right way to approach it. Are you with me? Have I lost the guys? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Do I need to do a disclaimer or anything? Am I no, okay? You're good. All right. So, Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and right now we submit ourselves yes. to you, and we renounce any wrong teaching, any domineering spirit, any spirit of harlotry, and we command them out of our heart and our mind, out of our marriage beds, and we submit them to you, Lord. We open up our hearts to you, and we say, We want your ways, we want your expression. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, over the years, what made me go down this direction is Josh and I, I did Titus 2, so I had all these women that were coming to me with marriage difficulties. And the most common thing that I would hear is, I just feel used. And it was because of that spirit of harlotry. So I began to cry out to God, This can't be right. The fruit of this teaching is not you. It can't be right. And God started unveiling this to me. So I want to show you the first thing. The act of intercourse is a covenant act. I don't know if you know this, but when God kept covenant with Abraham, it was a blood covenant. There was the shedding of blood. When Jesus gave his body a living sacrifice, it's a blood covenant. It's why we do communion. It's why there's blood in communion, because it's a blood covenant. Did you know marriage is a blood covenant? One of the reasons why the Bible strains that women be a virgin when they're married is because women have a hymen. And when they, are, when they experience that sexual act for the first time, that blood is broken and it's a blood covenant. It's a mark of the covenant of God. It's a blood covenant. That's the first thing. The second thing is that just, just like when we take communion, or we practice baptism, it's an outward expression of inward connection. Is that not true? Mm -hmm. And every time we take communion, don't we expect something spiritual to happen? As a husband and wife, every time you come together in sexual expression, you are 
doing an outward expression of inward connection. And you are accessing God, the third party of your union, to cause you to meld together more perfectly and more fully as one because God's your partner. A spiritual transaction occurs. Um, So I I wrote down, I just want to say this. um, When heart connection is there, physical connection is desired. When heart connection is really there, physical connection is desired. That's why before you get married, you can't keep your hands off each other. Why? Because you've taken the time to cultivate a heart connection. And the deeper that heart connection is, the deeper that love is felt, the more you want to give to the other person. Heart connection gives way to this. Um, So I want to just cover blood covenant because you'll see that marriage is a blood covenant. So here are the elements of a blood covenant. It's two or more parties involved. Those parties commit themselves to to a binding agreement. It involves promises and oaths. It has a physical symbol or an outward symbol, which for marriage, we have the physical symbol of coming together as one flesh, and then you also have a ring as a physical symbol. It involves witnesses, and it usually is sealed by blood, and then it usually has something to enforce it, usually by death. If you break it, it's death. I don't know if you know, but in the Old Testament, if you violated your marriage vows, they would take you before the leaders, and they would literally take you to the edge of town and stone you to death. That was the, it was pretty serious. That's why they didn't have a lot of disobedient children either, because if you disobeyed and kept disobeying, they would bring you before the Pharisees and take you to the edge of town. So that's why the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. I'm not meaning to, to make light of it. I just am trying to get across the severity in the heart of God of the cutoff of those things. So with that said, marriage is a blood covenant. It's acting out the picture of Christ indwelling his church. Um, So I want to look at this, and I'm going to take you down some different roads um, to help you understand what I'm trying to communicate. So sex is not a need of man. Sex is a command of the marriage. God commanded them, be fruitful, multiply, and exercise dominion. And it's interesting that God called that union fruitfulness and that out of that fruitfulness came multiplication. You've heard it said before, and this is an accurate thing, that sex is a good indicator as to how healthy your union is. It's a good indicator. We could say it's the temperature gauge, in a way, of your marriage. And this is why. Because when heart connection is there, and there's clean and clear heart connection, you desire to give yourself to your mate. It's when offense has moved in, or something has come between you that you don't want to be touched. You don't want to be close. So it's a heart connection. Let's look at the scripture. Y'all still okay? Y'all are looking with funny faces. Mm -hmm. Everybody say, I love Karen. I love Karen. All right, I believe you. 
All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, let's see, I want to go back and read this other one in Genesis 1. Let's look at Genesis 1, 27. I got a little nervous and skipped ahead. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves. So I want you to see God made them and then he commanded them. He commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and exercise their dominion. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first, the first time the Bible records them coming together. It says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and born Cain. So I want to look at this word knew. Adam knew Eve his wife. This word knew in the Hebrew is, is yada. And it literally means, Mark can probably tell us a lot more than I can about this, but it means to know, to learn emotionally, physically, to understand. It has an implication of revelation. Remember last week I said that there is a pursuit that we all have in finding our mate and that we think that's the pursuit, but the moment you find, you have the finding pursuit, then it shifts to the becoming pursuit because now you're pursuing becoming one, becoming one in God, and it's a whole new pursuit, mm -hmm. but there's never an end to pursuit. Just like when you become one with Christ, the pursuit never ends. He never quits pursuing you. You never quit pursuing him. Are y'all with me? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And I'm going to show you this, this word, yada, all through Jesus talking to us about his relationship with us, his relationship with the Father. It is an intimate knowing until you're one. Just like the Godhead is three parts, but one Remember last week we talked about marriage. All marriages that are covenants have three people. It has God, a man, and a woman. And those two, as they draw near to God, they're drawn together. Right? It's why it's a threefold cord. We're not talking about just a contract. We're talking about a covenant. So let's look. I also want to tell you that in the Greek, there's a word, grishko and orda, which I'm not a Greek scholar, but I need but it also means yada in the Hebrew. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I don't know how to say them. So I want to look at some scriptures. Let's go to John 14, starting in verse 4. And we're just going to read there a bit in John. Because I want to show you this outside of the context of the marriage union. I want to show it to you in the union with Jesus to give you a better, oops, to give you a better understanding. John 14, starting in verse 4, it's Jesus talking here. And he says, where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Both those words, know, are the word yada. You intimately are acquainted with the way of God. You're intimately acquainted. <clears throat> and then in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 7 if you had known me, that word is yada. If you had been intimately 
acquainted with me, you would have known, again, Yada, my father. And from now on, you know, again. Okay, I just want you to see there's an intimacy. And I want you to see this picture because it is the picture of, of marital intimacy. Jesus makes an offer to you. And when you respond and say yes, he inserts his spirit into you. And that spirit distributes pieces of himself. And those parts of himself mature in you and they come back out as him in the earth and change other people's lives. It increases the kingdom. Do you see? Do you see the picture of marriage in that? Do you see the knowing is the same? So when you teach it as body parts coming together to satisfy desire, you're missing the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now, let me quickly say, God made it to be satisfying, and it should be. And if you ever came to my Titus 2 thing, you, I, I've been blamed for many babies because I would talk to those girls about some things I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Um, I'm for it. But I want you to understand there is no language in the Word of God that approaches sexual intimacy and marriage that is about the person's need being fulfilled. All the language, even in the Old Covenant, in fact, in Deuteronomy 24, I'm getting my head of myself, but the, in the law, it used to say when you would take a wife, you were to take a year off and spend the year bringing pleasure to the wife of your youth and learning her. It wasn't about your pleasure. It was about bringing pleasure to her. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. The whole heart behind the marriage interaction is, I am getting with God to hear God for you and offer myself as a sacrifice for you. And you're going to God to hear about me and bring yourself as a sacrifice for me. And God is our partner. Every time we come together, unites us deeper, fuller, and more of a force in him to be reckoned with in the earth. Because our fruitfulness and multiplication establishes his dominion. The more one we are, the more dominion we exercise. Are you with me? Ooh, that's good. That's good. All right. I also want you to see this in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Someone read that. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So the reason why I wanted to read this scripture is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's Yada again. Mm -hmm. There it is right there. In all your ways, intimately know him. Mm -hmm. Intimately know him. And he'll direct your path. Intimately know him. Let the spirit come and part himself in you and produce him. So I love it when I feel like I'm chasing a rabbit and that's the next thing on my notes. So the next thing on my notes is Deuteronomy 24.5. We're going to go there so you see it in the Bible because I just want to in the Old Testament is everybody still okay? Yeah. Alright. 
Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, it says, When a man has taken a new wife, he shall, go, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home for one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Another translation says, learn his wife. So his year of study is to know her, to treasure her, to learn about her, to give himself to her. Y'all with me? For a year. They used to be able to do that because they had dowries. Let's look at the scripture in Ecclesiastes. And then I'm going to pull all this together for you. Y'all still okay? Mm -hmm. yes. Have I lost you men? You still with me? Maybe okay. Did the, did the women's father pay? Yes. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. They did. They would have a dowry. And the husband would... There usually was a covenant. And back then it wasn't about attraction. And I want, I want to say this. All this stuff, whenever you watch shows... I don't know. Y'all probably never watch these things. But if you see stuff like The Bachelor, you hear people talking or whatever, all this junk about chemistry, which there is chemistry, I'm just telling you, electric chemistry, God can make it electric chemistry, but it's not, that's not the pursuit. The pursuit is I am looking for the God part of me that's missing. And when I saw the God part of me that was missing in Josh, even though my natural mind said, he's not this. And oh my God, I never wanted to marry a doctor. I was going to marry evangelists. We were going to travel all over the world. We were going to, I had all these dreams and he was not my list of things that I thought I wanted. But the spirit of God in him was the God part my heart was crying for. And the spirit of God in me was the God part that his heart was crying for. And it necessarily drew us together. Why? Because there is a specific dominion in the earth that we're created to exercise. That establishes something of God that no other people can do just like we can. Do you see the attack on this and why it's so strong? This is a terrifying thing to the enemy. I will tell you this, most couples who really have this kind of union... You watch them the first five to seven years of their marriage, they're attacked from all sides. Why? Because if he can keep you from making that united oneness, and then every time I watch it with young couples, I've just seen it with my son and daughter-in-law, it's like they crossed over and they had their first all-out beat-the-devil's-brains-out victory. And it's over. It's over because they know how to press into God and be one. It's over. It's over. How in the world did we get over there? Okay, so let's look at this. I want to just talk about, I'm going to give some practical insights to being oneness. So we're going to go back and read these scriptures. We're just going to read some scriptures. And Mark, I'll let you talk, but let me get to the end because if I don't, I've got two more pages. We won't get there. Uh, I need some helpers. Who's going to be? All right, David. Ephesians 5, 15 through 33. I know it's long. Josh, Colossians 3, 12 through 9. David McClure, he, Hebrews 13, 1 through 5. Can you read 
I know you just had your surgery on your yeah, eyes. I'll look it Is up that for okay? You. Okay. What was Ecclesiastes a while back? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It's the threefold cord that's not easily broken. I didn't read it. But it's talking about the union. It's not just talking about... I want to get rid of the idea that it's just about intercourse. Because with God, that's not. It's not like that. It's not just the mechanics. Although that's a huge part. It's about captivating one another's heart. And when you do that, you want this part. You long for it. You pursue it. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Just like I love to take communion because it reminds me of the union I have with Jesus. Sex is my communion of my marriage. I long for it. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Y'all still okay? All right. Ephesians 5, 15 through 33. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so again, remember last week we talked about context being king, and the context of these scriptures and marriage starts with, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that he starts by being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because to have this union, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. Why? I'm going to give you just a whole different thing. I asked the Holy Spirit how to satisfy Josh. And there are times where the Holy Spirit will prompt me to do something that might be sexual in nature that I have absolutely no physical desire for. But I know it's the Lord, and I know he's calling for something that's going to satisfy Josh. And in that moment, he's asking me to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's my reasonable service. And when I give myself to Josh in that way, the Holy Spirit meets me 
and stirs my desire for him and satisfies me. Don't harden your heart, girls. When God prompts you, it's your responsibility when you've made that covenant before God to yield. God is your partner. The same thing is true with Josh. Josh will ask the Lord things for me. And he will come and meet that need the way that God has it in his heart. Let me say this. The reason why there are three in a marriage is God meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Who is in Christ Jesus? We all are. So if I'm looking to God to be my need meter, go away. (laughs) If I'm looking to God to be my need meter, God will prompt Jesus and Josh to meet my need. Do you understand? This gives lust no place. Do you understand? Are y'all still with me? Mm-hmm. All right, because your faces really need some help. Colossians 3.12 through 19. <laughs> Colossians 3.12 through 19. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. So I want to just, this whole scripture is about heart maintenance. Girls, I'm just going to tell you straight up. If you don't want to be touched, there's a reason. And it usually has to do with your heart. It usually has to do with that man offending you, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, looking the wrong way, ignoring you the wrong thing. Heart maintenance is so essential to being able to keep the union. You have a command of God to guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. And it is the lifeblood of your marriage. Men, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart from lust. Your wife isn't a body part or an orifice to park yourself. They recognize that in a supernatural way, and God never intended for that to be your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You are to treasure, value, protect, preserve. There should be godliness in your heart towards one another. You know, if I don't want to be touched, I take a minute to get alone with God and say, what's the deal? Because I'm offended at him somehow. Because I love this man. And it's not normal, nor should it be, for me not to be touched. Right. So you need to go to God and you need to deal with it because it is a command. Everybody say command. command. It's a command of the union. It is not optional. It's a command. It's a command. All right, let's look at this last one, Hebrews 13, 1 through 5. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. 
don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So I want to tell you that I wanted you to see that God will judge. If you're unfaithful, if you don't keep the marriage bed undefiled, God will judge it. I will tell you, he will judge it. Um, and I'm just going to leave that there. I also want to say this. Don't defile the marriage bed with imagination, with wrong imagination. The only people in that bed with you should be you, your mate, and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Don't defile it. Girls, don't defile it with something you've seen. Men, don't defile it with something you've seen. Let's look at this other scripture. And then we're just going to talk about some practicums. Um, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 10, I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, I beg you that when I am present, I may not behold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ. Why did I put this in a marriage deal? Because you're accountable for your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You're accountable for your thought life. And if you're married and you're lusting at something else, your thoughts need to be brought into obedience to Jesus. And I'm not just talking about sexual lust. Girls, if you're seeing some other husband who is better with money than your husband is or more financially successful or he's more thoughtful or whatever it might be, this can be on either side. You are responsible for your thought life. You keep it and treasure the one that God's given you. So um, I want to talk just a minute. How am I doing on time? Okay. Um, so the way that God gave marriage is really selfless connection with one another. We've read these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5 and 5, 17. This scripture is talking about a man caught in adultery um, well, really, and he was sleeping with a step. It's kind of incestuous. And Paul puts him out of the church. And then the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we all quote, quote, he's a new creation. All things are, old things are passed away. Behold, it's talking about this man. He was set out for this horrible sexual sin. They set it out because sexual sin is infectious. It can actually drag other people into it because your, your body is a member that belongs to Jesus. And you're doing something in your body that's actually violating your God union. And so Paul says, set them out. So we should be set apart from everybody in this. We shouldn't look like everybody else. We shouldn't be able to joke like everybody else. Um, so how does this look like practically? So we know now 
that it's not a specific need of one person or another person, but it's a command of the union, and that the attitude that the Bible tells us is I'm going to give myself and find ways to incite blessing to my mate, and I'm going to incite blessing to my mate. So how does this work? So I'm going to to give some examples to kind of help along the way. Y'all okay? Most marriage conferences will teach you to have date nights. Josh and I have never done that. Do you know that? We've never done date nights. But what we do is we do have intimacy time. And we have lots of different ways that we do this. Sometimes we just lay in bed and talk. One of our favorite things to do is drive around in our convertible Mm -hmm. with the top down, especially when it's like 34 degrees You've got the heated seats, the neck scarf blowing on you. It's freezing up here, but really warm right here. And we drive around, look at the stars, and we talk. But in these times, we do it specifically targeted at our intimacy. All right? And this is why. Because Josh never wants to take from me. He wants to give to me. And I never want to steal from him. I want to give to him. So I'm going to give you some, some scenarios about that and just talk about how to facilitate this kind of love. Is this okay? Yep. Single folks, are we still okay? Everybody good? All right. Okay. <coughs> so <coughs> um, I'm going to use our example of Fred and Mildred. Okay, Fred and Mildred. So Fred, Mildred, she, she kept herself for, for marriage. She grew up in the church. She doesn't know very much about intercourse just in general. She's pretty naive. She's a pure little girl. She just has never, but she loves Fred with all of her heart. Fred and Mildred, they're newlyweds. Now Fred is so excited. His whole life he's been looking forward to this. These are two little church-going people. So they get married. Sorry, guys, I'm going to tell you, watch your imagination here for a minute because I'm going to give some, some details, but watch your imagination. So Fred... He, he has always dreamt of showering with his wife. And it's just a thing. He's always thought. It. And so he's so excited. Now they're married. This is all permissible. And it is. And so Mildred, though, because she's innocent, she has never even considered this as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Taking a shower to her is getting clean. <laughs> <laughs> never has she had the thought that it could be anything more than that. All right? So what happens is Fred gets into the shower with her. Mildred is overwhelmed, and she feels a little violated. But because she loves him, she gives herself to him, and everything's great. Okay, so, sorry, guys. Now listen. This scenario could be totally different if Fred and Mildred had intimacy time. And during this intimacy time, he said, she says to him, Honey... Is there anything that you've always wanted in this kind of intimacy? Can you share with me just just ideas of things that you've always wanted that you thought this would be so cool? And he shares with her this whole shower thing. And she thinks, wow, I never thought of that. I just thought taking a shower was about getting clean. So, hmm. So she has time now for God to work in her mind. See, isn't this how Jesus comes? Jesus comes and he makes you an offer. And what does he do? He waits for you to respond. He doesn't take from you. He waits for you to give to him. Are y'all with me? Mm -hmm. So now what happens, total different scenario. uh, Fred's downstairs. He's in the shower getting ready for work. 
has no idea. Holy Ghost apprehends Mildred. She's like, I can go get in the shower with him. I can give him this experience that he's always wanted. She gets in and there's this wonderful exchange. Mildred feels empowered by God. Fred feels loved and fulfilled. And no one is taken from. What's the difference, fruitfulness? We have true intimacy going on with this couple. Are you with me? Are you still with me? Okay. So here's another one. Let me give you another scenario. Are we still okay, guys? You still, am I being too graphic? You could tell me. Okay. So here's another scenario. So Mildred, sweet little Mildred, they had a baby. They came together. They were fruitful and they multiplied. They have a baby. So now they have a baby and the baby is doing, is in school. And Mildred, of course, they want to homeschool because they want to raise their babies right. So she's homeschooling. She does all the cooking and the cleaning. And he goes and he works outside. No, you're all right. He works outside the home. And um, he is a Christian guy. He had his Bible study at lunch. He worked out in the world. He's got people praising him. Mildred's at home with crying children. She's done homeschool. She's cooked. She's clean. She's cleaned his clothes. Are you with me? And he comes in from work, and there she is, looking all cute and wonderful. And he goes over and kind of tweaks her and makes a comment about how sexy she looks and everything. And the last thing Mildred's thinking is sexy. Right? And Mildred's thinking, you touch me again, you're going to lose that appendage. Because she's tired. She's spent. Okay, so in this time of intimacy, Mildred could have shared with Fred, you know, every now and then it would be so wonderful for you to see that I'm spent and come in and rescue me. Are you with me? Because this scenario is making Mildred feel like a piece of meat. So because they've had this conversation in private and intimacy, we have a whole different scenario. Fred comes in, Mildred, he sees Mildred spent, he walks over and kisses her. He says, I love you. Man, thank you for taking care of my kids all day. This house looks amazing. And I loved that there were clean clothes in the drawer this morning. But you know what? Let me finish this meal. Why don't you go take a hot bath and I'll serve you dinner. What is he doing? He is selflessly giving himself to Mildred the way Mildred needs it. Are you with me? He's not hardening his heart, but he's giving himself to her. Sometimes, men, when you give yourself to your wife, it'll be non-sexual touching, expecting nothing in return. Because sometimes what a woman needs is to be held. Sometimes she needs to be touched and kissed with nothing else attached to that. But you have to have the Holy Spirit drawing you to know. Do you understand? When you walk like this, every time you come together, God imparts himself into it and makes you more attached, makes you more one flesh, makes you have more authority for your dominion. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Y'all still okay? 
So there is this ongoing relationship of becoming one flesh that is more than just a sexual act. Now I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it very bluntly. There should be no faking in marriage. There is no faking till you make it. And here's another thing that's just the truth. God created women in a way that they need more, I'm going to say foreplay, especially in the beginning, to learn, especially if they're innocent, to learn how to yield over. One of the things I used to say in my Titus 2 group, <laughs> Angela can tell you, is I would tell those girls, you need to not fake it. You need to work with your husband until you actually have a full, complete orgasm. Why am I saying that? Because girls are made to progressively have a climax. Guys have a climax, and ta-da, we're done. But here's the deal. God created women in such a way that once they experience that, they have a huge appetite for that. But if they never experience that, they will not have an appetite for that. And the way we've taught this in the church is they just fake it to service the need. And that's never what God intended because there's something that happens when you come together in that union. Y'all still okay? Mm -hmm. yes. I also want to say that God created us in such a way that he staggered our peaking as we grow old. I don't know if you know this, but most men peak sexually at 20 to 30 years old. They begin to de decrease in their drive from 40 to 50. And from 50 and above, they, it gets less and less and less. Women, however, peak from 30 to 40. So when men are starting to decline, women are peaking. Do you know why God did this? Because these men have an opportunity to sow into their future, to have love and understanding, to sow into your future, to be cared for. Do you see that? There's a way that you draw God out of one another. Um, God created this so that there would be seasons that would push and pull on each other to develop us in a selfless life that expresses the full selflessness of the Godhead. In that image. Um, It's interesting, I love this language in Deuteronomy 24, 5 that we read. It said, for husbands uh, to enjoy their wife or to take pleasure in the wife of their youth. In Corinthians, it says to women that they should take pleasure in their husbands. That's the attitude. You're both looking to bless one another, however that is. Um, and then I just want to say this, and I'll close. Um, the Bible gives us a standard of husbands loving wives the way Christ loves the church and gives himself for us. Gives us a st this standard for men. For women, it gives a standard of Proverbs 31. Neither one of these are attainable without the Holy Spirit. That's why it's a threefold cord. You cannot love your wife the way Christ loves the church without Christ. And you cannot be a Proverbs 31 woman without the Spirit of God empowering you, leading you, and guiding you. To walk in this, you need the movement of the Holy Spirit drawing you together. And then I want to, I want to, I 
read that scripture in Romans 12 to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable service. I wanted to read this one scripture. I loved um, Song of Solomon. For those of you that are married, I highly recommend you take a deep dive into Song of Solomon and think about the reality that it's showing the love between Christ and the church. And this is the way God sees love. And you'll see how the king speaks to her heart. But he admires her, loves her, and longs for her. And the way he longs for her, she responds to him. God created us to be that way. But I wanted to read this because I thought it was so interesting. And we'll close on this one. Um, This is in the Passion Translation. And I'm really going to read more out of the notes than I am just the Bible itself. Because at the bottom, he makes this... um, Well, let me see this. So this is the Shulamite woman. It says, let him smother me with kisses. His spirit kissed divine. So kind are your caresses. I drink them in like sweetest wine. Your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing. Over and over poured out. For your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the bride-to-be adore you. Draw me into your heart and we will run away together into the king's cloud chambers. I just want to read some notes on this. So when it talks about the kisses, it says this, the spirit kiss is what made Adam, the man of clay into a living expression of God. Dust and deity met when the maker kissed the spirit wind into Adam. What would your marriage be like if you actually thought every time you kissed your husband, You were imparting the Holy Spirit into him. And he was imparting the Holy Spirit into you. Would you pursue kissing more often? It's just a thought. I'm just saying. Y'all still okay? Everybody still like? All right. So it's the Bible. I just want you. It's the Bible. This is the Bible. The Holy One. The Holy One. one. Okay, I want to finish this. Because I want to make a point. The word of God is the kiss from the mouth of our beloved, breathing upon us revelation of his love. The Shulamite doesn't ask him for power, position, or promotion, but for a kiss. Intimacy with Jesus is more important than anything else he gives us. Mm -hmm. Now I want to jump down here because I think this is so amazing. So this is talking about verse one, uh, chapter one, verse two. It says the word play in Hebrew, similar to a pun, the word for kisses And the word for take a drink is nearly the same word. The implication is seen in the ancient expositors is that God's lovers will be drunk with love, the intoxicating kisses of his mouth. The Hebrew word kiss is hard word. Nashqua. I don't know. Okay. Which also means to equip. We need his kisses to become equipped warriors for him I was thinking of that when I was reading that this morning of just Josh needs my kisses to equip him to stay mine for the warfare of staying one with me I need his kisses to equip me for the warfare of staying one with him do you see this If you go through Song of Solomon and you look at this, you will see your marriage in a totally different 
God-breathed way. I will tell you, when I start to withhold myself, and every, if you've been married, we've been married 39 years. That's a while. Mm-hmm. We've been through a lot of seasons and a lot of poo lolly, I'll just tell you for sure. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, there is no one on the planet I would rather be with. There was no one that I like more. No one breathing that I would rather be next to. And if the rest of my days were sitting on the sofa, cuddled up next to him, doing nothing but that, they would be incredibly valuable. Amen. But that's a love that's only grown by God. You can't manufacture it. It's only grown by God. And I will tell you, in the seasons where I've not wanted Josh physically, Josh has never shamed me. He has never demanded of me but he demands of God. And God spanks my bottom and drags me right back into that marriage bed. And as an act of faith to the Lord, I give myself to him. Because God is your partner. And I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna say this one last time. When you withhold yourself in any way, men, when you withhold yourself emotionally, when you're aloof, women need your feelings. We need to know, you need to cultivate the ability to communicate your heart. This morning, I want to share this. I hope it's okay. This morning, my husband was talking passionately about some music. And every time he talks about this music, he bursts into tears because it touches him so deeply. And every time he does, I think, I want him to articulate There is this intimate loving going on in his heart, and I want him to find craft words to say that feeling. Do you understand? This should be your quest. Is this not your quest with Jesus? Do you not work to craft words? Sometimes you get so to the place where you can't say it, you say it in tongues, because you can't find the words. God is your partner. Don't live beneath in the realm of the world where it's all about you, all about how you feel, all about your needs. God meets your needs according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In fact, when I was telling Josh that, he goes, really? And I said, when I told the Lord that's wrong, the Lord said to me, manna, food is a need. God met it with manna. God can meet your needs. God can meet your needs, and God will correct your expectation. There was a season in our life where all of my friends' husbands were sending them flowers. This is funny. And I went to the Lord, and I'm like, God, everybody's getting flowers but me. I really want flowers. And that month, someone sent me flowers every single week, and not one of them was Josh. You know why? Because I had a wrong attitude. I had made Josh my need meter. And that makes him an idol. God corrected my heart and made him my need meter. Funny thing, the moment my heart got corrected, guess where the flowers came next? Do you understand? God is your partner. As you pursue him, he draws you together. He is the one that when things are off course, he draws you back in. There was a season in our life where 
um, I thought I was going to lose Josh. And I'm going to say this uh, just because I believe it's the key. And I went to the Lord because Josh had had some difficulty in our marriage. And it was, we were looking at dissolving our covenant. And I went to the Lord and I said, I really need to know because this will not be my life. I will not live my life like this. And the Holy Spirit said to me, sweetheart, you can trust this. I have his heart. The key to a happy marriage is God having your heart and God having the mate of your, of your heart. Because when God has their heart, God will be your partner. And he can fix anything. He can draw you back together. And talk about electric. When the Holy Spirit gets involved, nobody can touch what's happening in that bed. I'm just telling you. Mm -hmm. All right? So let me pray over you. We'll call it a happy ending. Huh? Happy ending. And then we'll have, yes. And then uh, in, on the 7th, we'll finish this and talk about the whole point of this union and cultivating the depth of this union is to exercise dominion. There is a purpose to marriage and it's dominion in the earth. And we'll talk about that on that week, okay? Father, we just thank you. Lord, I'm asking for the ones in this group that aren't married, I'm asking you to guard them and keep them until the day. Protect them. And Father, just like you did with Adam, you brought to him the one for him. Lord, bring the ones for these. And Father, for those of us that are married, I'm asking you to settle down in the middle of this union. Make them one, Lord, the way that you're one. Make it fun and fulfilling. Let the world not even be able to touch the pleasure and enjoyment of these marriages. Because God, you created this. You know how it works better than anyone. You know things about it no one else knows. You know how to draw us into the delightful places. And I'm asking you to do it to these ones. Father, thank you that you care about this. You invented this. You love it. Stir us to have a one flesh marriage the way it is in your heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. amen.